go. All right. All right, all right. Good morning, gentlemen. Good it's morning. a pleasure, pleasure to be here, and we have a special guest this morning who was, of course, our preacher from Sunday, Ben Sheldon. Good to see you. Thank you. On this uh, morning after a big Phillies win, I know we're both <laughs> celebrating. Yep. Um, ben, why don't you, I know you've got a lot going on. You just launched a public worship out in East Lyme. Praise God for that. Um, Thanks. So we appreciate you coming. Uh, can you just give us a brief recap of what you preached on, and uh, we'll go from there. Yes, I preached uh, from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, and this was, it, I've been preaching to our, our church group, our church plant out there in, in Niantic, uh, just through the book of Acts. I started at the end of August, and... In, in God's providence this week, when y- you invited me to preach here, was this last section of Acts 4. It's a, it's a powerful section in which the church is living and acting in this ideal sense. They're, they're, they're still in this response to this great thing that's happened of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and Luke, whenever he's writing this, whenever he's collecting these stories, he, he's bringing out the sense of, of excitement of this moment particularly in saying things like they were of one heart and soul and that they held all things in common. So we know that the uh, early church was not hiding anything either. You know, in the very next chapter, uh, I mentioned it briefly in the sermon, there's going to be evidence of this, the type of unity and excitement is going to come into contact with human sin. But it's just a really exciting passage. My big idea was kind of the, the overarching theme was that because of the resurrection, we're enabled to pursue a radical unity. Mm. So that that was that was my guiding principle as I was uh, thinking about the points to, to draw out of this. And then my my main points were um, we see this unity first within the church. The unity is not experienced uh, by ourselves or just with our families. Although you know we absolutely can experience beautiful unity within our family, but What's specific about this unity is it's being experienced within the body of Christ, mm-hmm. within the church. So that was my first point. My second point was that there was a unity of testimony. So the, the apostles were, were giving a testimony to the gospel of Jesus in a way that was fueling this unity. And then finally, you know, I really leaned into the, uh, the example of Barnabas, and we see this unity expressed through the example of the church of individuals. I'd be curious just to hear, um, you know, we're, we're a church, we've been around, we just celebrated our 30th year, uh, but I think it can be really healthy and helpful for us to learn from church plants, learn from those just getting started. Can you just give us a glimpse, like what has it been like for your core group to walk through Acts? Mm. It's been exciting. Um, you know, we're still, we're still small. We're still a small core group. You know, you mentioned we started public worship it, it's I'm sort of calling it pre-public worship like we're meeting publicly but we haven't really it's a soft launch it's a soft launch and uh acts is really helpful because a I'm preaching to myself first so even as I think about what's possible in the church how is God going to draw people together how is God going to transform a community into his church it's really helpful to, to return to acts see how he's done it in the past 
Hmm. And I, there's a lot of applications that I can answer that question, Craig, but I think the biggest one is one of my favorite parts of Acts so far is that after James, I'm sorry, after Peter and John were arrested in the Sanhedrin in Acts 3, they get out, they're released, and we're told all the disciples prayed for boldness. Yeah. There was such an expectation through prayer because they couldn't help but speak about what they'd seen and heard. And for me and for our core group, we've just really leaned into, hey, we're small, we're underwhelming in the eyes of the world. We're, you know, There's not anything significant in, in man's eyes going on, but we can pray. We can pray with an expectation and a boldness. And I think uh, that that's a mark, you know, a church, no matter how old a church is, a church can lean into that type of prayer and see how the spirit works and uses that. Hmm. Um, that's always been so striking to me. The passage right before yeah. the one you preached right. was, yeah, they're arrested. Right. And they don't pray for the authorities to ease off. They right. don't pray mm. for less suffering, yeah. basically. Mm. They pray for boldness. That's right. And they pray that they would be able to preach. Yeah. And and so then even the unity that you're talking about right. is not it's not threatened. Mm. It seems like yeah. there's a lot of threats. Yes. But it's not actually threatened by right. their circumstances. Yeah, that's a good word. I mean you, you sometimes think like what what does it take to be of one heart and one soul with people? Mm. And you know, there's been a few instances in my life and experiencing it in different elements of the church. When you feel like you're all you're on board, you're there's a unity, there's a there's a togetherness. I think we're sensing just the power of the Holy Spirit in uh, loving the things God loves, aligning our lives with His Word, uh, having a passion that's based not on fear. You know. It, I think one of the application points I was was uh, was struck with this week was just how much of an antidote to the messaging of the world that this message of the unity of the church is and how powerful it actually is. Can you explain that more? Sure. In in what ways? Yeah. You know the the unity that the the church was feeling. So I I, I drew this out a little bit. Luke makes a point, you know, the church has not exploded out of Jerusalem yet and gone to the Gentiles. We can infer that there were some Gentiles here. You know, Luke in, in chapter 2 says that there were some proselytes that had, be, had become God-fearers and, and converted to the Jewish religion. But they were from every place in the Roman Empire, mm. meaning that all, the, all of the normal things that humans divide over, race, culture, re- language, they were present. Mm-hmm. the type of unity that they were being called to was completely based in an external identity being given them by mm-hmm. repentance and faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's so easy to, to just spit off. It's so easy to just talk about the doctrine without thinking about the, the beautiful byproduct of that, which is we've been united to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's such a powerful means by which to base our identity. Hmm. And I think that's something that we really should lean into. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Christians in our context, as just an example of what the church is to the world, 
and you know, we don't want to be naive. That doesn't mean that there isn't, there are not legitimate things to have passionate differences about. Mm -hmm. But I think when the church is pursuing this type of radical unity, those differences are not gone, but people are working with them and through them with this higher plane Hmm. of connection. Like, Hey, I'm united to Christ Mm -hmm. and I'm going to believe my brother or sister is also united to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an identity that transcends ev- any other thing we could possibly identify by. Mm-hmm. And that, I just yeah, I want to lean into that. Yeah. Well, it is a helpful reminder that we we idealized the early church. Mm-hmm. Like look how amazing it was, look how unified it was. They were one heart, one soul, and they had no problems. But we don't realize to some extent that was true, which is the right. passage you preached on, but they had to overcome a lot. Yes. Mm. A lot of differences. So just because you're Jewish in the first century right. does not mean you are the same. Right. There was a lot of diversity. Yep. Um, so the fact that they were able to unite against someone who was perceived as yeah. a threat to the Jewish nation. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. Um. So yeah, that I guess that's a long answer to your question, Craig. Like as a church plant, it's fun to see it's fun to work through acts. Um but I'd say it's it's applicable to Christians and churches of, of every stage of life in, in church life, but all you know, also in our walk with the Lord. I think um I was just struck in thinking about this, like you know, obviously Barnabas has some wealth. There's people that are gathered that don't have wealth. We're told that you know they they had need, and these proceeds were distributed to them as they had need. Um, it's really easy to divide over class, even if we don't want to. Even if we're like, hey, we don't want to divide over class. We know that we're, we're united in Christ and the gospel, um, and yet you know our society is very materialistic. So we we see the evidence of people's income or wealth or Maybe in our hearts we're desiring to, to, to display a certain type of income or wealth. And I think it's still an offensive message in our culture with Christians hmm. to talk about this message of mutual accountability. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I forget who said this. I think I read it somewhere where the, the guy was saying that money, wealth, de facto divides. Hmm. It puts you in a different neighborhood. Right. It puts you in different schools. Right. Um, and de facto, you are separated from other people. Yeah. And so therefore you're not experiencing their experiences mm. therefore, so forth and so on. So, and you know, those things <laughs> are the untouchables of yeah. our, of our, uh, of, of our society, especially right. when it comes to what, what am as a pastor or another brother and sister in Christ, mm. what are they able to challenge you on? Yeah. Don't you dare challenge me on where I live. Mm. <laughs> you know, don't mm-hmm. you dare challenge me on how I raise my kids or what schools I go to. Yeah. And I think we, I think that's why it's offensive to our cultures because those right. are untouchable things, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Jerry, that's good. You wrote, I wrote down this line that you said, Ben, rather than isolating ourselves from the concerns of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I didn't finish the line. Do you remember what you said? Yeah. You want to um, expand on it? I think what I said was, you know, in my mind there, I was thinking of my own generation elder millennial, you know, younger millennial, people in their thirties that are, that are getting into the thick of post-school starting families. Um, 
And I saw a statistic a few months ago that was suggesting that Americans the the value that Americans placed on patriotism and community was in rapid decline while the value we place on financial security was skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think one, one of which is there's a feeling of instability Mm -hmm. and secure, you know, financial security can help buffer us from impending crisis or, you know, whatever. But the Bible is making the claim and, you know, the, the early church is making is ex- showing this example that that's not actually the first priority of Christians. And that even as we would seek to, I've got to set up all these safety nets and I've got to set my kids up and I, you know, I want to ensure that there's something to leave them. Those are not bad in and of themselves. I don't want this to be like a, I'm bashing good financial sense. Um, but it takes an act of act of trust and commitment to your church to say, I'm going to prioritize my church. I'm going to prioritize giving. And, you know, giving is not just financial. It's our time, our hospitality, um, you know, all, all the things that, that we have to expend. Um, and, you know, because Allison and I, we've got four kids. We love our family. It's really easy, even for families, to slip into, hey, we're preserving our family time. We've got our family time and it's, it's not always easy to be like, Hey, we're going to invite people without families into our home to sit with us during our normally scheduled family movie night. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, so I'm I'm talking to families there too. Like Mm -hmm. let's not seek to insulate ourselves. Uh, there's this radical unity we've been connected to. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was sort of what I was going with, with that, Craig. Yeah. I think it's a great point. I think Jesus, Jesus simply calls us to submit everything to him, yes. right? Mm-hmm. To die to yeah. ourselves. And if we do that with full integrity, then right. everything that we, every choice that we make, especially the choices that we make that are in line with the culture, mm-hmm. need to be questioned and yeah. brought under his lordship. Mm-hmm. Amen. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you brought up just in, in, um, in our conversation here, um, this union with Christ. Mm. Most of my Christian experience, and I would even say, even as a pastor, sometimes yeah. that's that 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 idea sounds so like out there. Yeah. Okay, what, do you, what a union with Christ? Okay, what do you mean I'm united to Christ? And and then you've been connecting it to yeah. this radical unity that we have, right. like because we're united to Christ, right. therefore I am united. This it's this yeah. other identity that's been imposed or gifted to us. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to want to speak into that. Like, how how do you how would you explain? Um, union with Christ. Mm. Well, you know, there's a lot of places we could go. I think where my mind first goes, and this is one of the benefits of, you know, coming into contact with Mission Anabino and, and being here. Um, I quoted the Heidelberg Catechism on the benefits of the Ascension mm. and uh, d- during, the, during the Sacrament of Communion. And this past April, when I came into contact with that, with uh, um, you know, another pastor we're, we're connected to, it was really for the first time that it set home to me that the one of the benefits of the ascension is that a piece of us, mystically, spiritually, however we want to think about this, is actually with Christ where he physically is right now. 
as our head, our representative, our representative, our head, Mm -hmm. as a pledge that he's going to return and take us to himself. Now, if we just think about that for a minute, it's okay. A piece of me is connected to Christ, my head in a way that I can't fully understand, understand or explain, but that's what the doctrine of the ascension is pointing to that we're connected in way more than just a, we're really into this ideology. We're really into the teachings of Jesus. No, we're, the, we're physically connected. The implication of that is we're also connected to one another through that same means of, of Christ being our head. And, um, I'll, I'll never forget. It was during the, the, uh, the, f- the very frightening time of COVID and all of the issues that came out about particularly masks. And there was a, I'm not going to quote him his name, but he was like, some of you Christians are complaining about masks. You've been wearing masks for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a, it was one of those one liners on a, on a YouTube thing. <laughs> and I had a professor at the time he played the clip and he, and then he said, how dare he talks about blood bought lambs of Christ that way. And that really sunk home. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've waded into these divisive topics and made my opinion clear to people. And and yet, how often do we come to think about our union with Christ as I'm united to other people who have been actually purchased by Christ. They're connected to him the same way I am. Mm-hmm. Th- if that's the basis for how we're treating each other in, in mm-hmm. politically fraught discussions and disagreements, that makes the threshold incredibly high but before we would break fellowship, before we would speak ill of one another. Now, it, it, that doesn't alleviate hard conversations and real important disagreements and you know submitting ourselves to God's word. But when we think about our union with Christ as the basis for our connection, it really brings some of these things to the surface. Like, hey, I'm connected to these people. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess to push back a little bit sure. with that guy's quote, maybe it's taken out of context. Wait, which but- guy? the how dare he speak about them that way i guess yeah i mean i appreciate what you're saying you're you're talking about a brother or sister in christ um but it does seem like if we have deep unity yes with someone that means we can also have deep disagreement and that that unity is not under threat Hmm. you know yeah you're right the more you love someone and and sure in this case it could have been He's just throwing out a barb. It's easy to throw yeah. barbs at people right. you have no relationship to. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're if the more you love someone and you're actually in relationship yeah. with them, then you can have a really hard conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word, Craig. And that's that that was what I was thinking about that during um this this idea of encouragement that we're given in Barnabas's life. And I know it, it's somewhat set up in the text. It's set up in contrast to what's going to happen in chapter five. But if you think about encouragement and knowing each other and knowing each other well enough to be able to, to supply for each other's needs, that also raises the threshold of being able to say hard things to each other mm. in the context of, I know these brothers and sisters love me because I've seen the evidence in my life since being connected to this church. They've encouraged me. They supported me if I receive a word of correction or that's hard to receive, I'm receiving it within something that the conditions exist for mm. me to receive it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, a, it's also a beautiful picture of the church. Mm. Cause maybe it took somebody to say to Barnabas, right. You know, yeah. I mean, I just, just rereading the passage. 
It's amazing. 32 says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him yeah. was his own. <laughs> that's wild. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. And that, I think that's why it's so easy to, to look at Acts and be like, well, special time, apostolic age, um, special provision of the Holy Spirit. And it certainly does contain those elements. And yet, I think this is what we're being called to. Well, I've heard people say we are in a much better place because uh, we have the full scripture. Right. So they, I mean, they didn't have anything written yeah. down as far as the New Testament right, was concerned. Right. Um, and their Bibles weren't written down, even in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and they have all of this understanding, mm. this development of doctrine. Right. Like we can, we understand more of what, who Christ is, yeah. what he has done, how to, how to understand it in relation to justification by faith. Like all of these things. I think we can say we are better off. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's just sort of a humbling thing mm. to say, well, that was then we could never right. strive towards yeah. that. I, I also think there's, this isn't directly stated in the text. So I, I, I could be drawing too close of mm. a connection between these two things, but I, I, there is a connection prior to this display of unity. Mm. You had the deep cutting of the heart of their sin. Yeah. And then you have baptism. Yes. yes. So what preceded the unity right. was suffering lowercase s. Right. Well, there was a death that they had to experience. Yeah. And you, this was part of the question I wanted to ask, yeah. um, because you brought up two instances where the world is right. experiencing all this suffering. And it seems, I don't want to say that um, suffering is the condition mm. that, that produces unity, but there's something to be said about Big, you know, big S suffering, yep. the suffering that happens to us mm. from the outside that's unexpected. And the, and the lower S, you can probably even say this, it's a bigger S, mm. the, the death that we die yeah. um, to our sin daily. And without that, without that at all, what are we united over? This unity takes a really big view mm -hmm. of the importance of the cross mm -hmm. in each of our lives and in, in the life of the church. Um, which is why, you know, I, I, I think the the zeal of new converts for example like mm -hmm. if we meet when we meet people who um they're, they're coming into contact for the first time of, of the depth of forgiveness the depth of of just how wonderful god's grace is you sometimes still see some of this uh mm -hmm. this level of passion from from new recent converts especially as adults um so yeah i agree jerry i think if you're a Jew in Jerusalem around Pentecost, when this whole story kicks off, and I, you know, I, I briefly alluded to this in the sermon, I don't know how many weeks or months have passed from two, chapter two to chapter three to chapter four. Mm -hmm. I'm of the opinion that it's it's happening pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, maybe mm -hmm. not the next day. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a development in the Christology of the apostles, even, mm -hmm. which was probably happening at a rapid rate because they just spent three years with Jesus. They're all sitting together. They're all talking. You know, I like to think that some of the thousands that were being saved were some of the best scholars. <laughs> you know, in in some cases, this Christology is developing quickly, but we should we shouldn't expect anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm getting away from your question, Jerry. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's. No, it's, it's, it, it just strikes me because when you brought up, you know, the, the two wars yeah. that, that we're facing mm -hmm. and, and the uncertainty and how the church has something to offer right. to this unity. And 
it's hard to imagine that we can offer a suffering or anything if there's no compassion or experiential suffering (laughs) with with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we have, we have, we have died to the very things that separate us because Christ died for it. And this whole union with Christ, the way I like talking about it, it's like Christ's life and death has been mapped on Mm. to our lives. Yes. In the same way, I'm going to use a loose illustration, in the same way I think if we go through something traumatic, that event becomes mapped onto our mind. Mm -hmm. It's hard for us to think outside of that lens. Right. And I think dying to our sins, Mm. I want to call it trauma, but I want to say that is being in Christ. It's like we can't think outside of Christ. We just can't think outside of him. And I think... We take it for, I think we can, as um, uh, 21st century American Christians, mm-hmm. can take that for granted, and we don't appreciate all the ways in which Christ has actually changed the way we think, right. talk, feel, and experience right. life. Yeah. So our old, our old yeah. self has died. Died. Like, there's an yeah. actual death there. And I heard this one quote, and I, I say it often in different ways, but um, the love, the love that we choose almost always invites the loves that we don't choose. Mm. Um, and what, what, what he's saying there, that, that's, that, that's that lowercase s suffering. Right. Where I'm called to love you, so I, I may choose to love you, but in doing so, I'm inviting into me worlds of suffering. Yeah. And I'm, I must be willing to do that if we're, if, if we're going to maintain our experience as unity. And I think right. that, I, th- I don't think we should, uh, you know, we, we read verse 32 and mm. we're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But, that might have been hard, like yeah. to look at the stuff that Must you've yeah. worked hard for or you inherited, yeah. and like it's not mine. Well, <laughs> and knowing God's law protects private property, meaning this was. I I, I read that to I read that verse to, to suggest that even those that would see what's happening in the early church and like, hey, maybe this is my opportunity to get something from the wealthier people. They weren't thinking like that. Mm-hmm. There, there was a mutual sense of togetherness and that led to this trust w- of one another. Um, the, people were not trying to hold on or protect their assets. You know, Ananias and Sapphira were uh, in chapter five. But, but meaning the people that had the means were not feeling all of a sudden distrustful of those without that they were going to s- just come and, and plunder their, their possessions. Mm-hmm. There was a trust-based of, mm-hmm. on this unity. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, what you said about suffering, Jerry, I, I think that's so right because mm-hmm. it would be easy to preach this maybe uh, triumphalistically mm-hmm. and forget the suffering that was even the external suffering that was beginning to happen. You know, we, we see signs of it with, with uh, Peter and John getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the collective suffering of the Jewish people at the time who were longing for this answer, how is God going to bring consolation to his people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were experiencing it ge- geopolitically. You know, mm-hmm. they're under the, the oppression of the Roman uh, government. Uh, and then deep within that question of how is God going to bring consolation to Israel is, how is God going to bring consolation to my own sin? Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, if I look at my heart, I know that I too... Uh, have to die to these things, have mm-hmm. to die to myself. And I was reminded recently that Martin Luther's first thesis that he banged up on the wall of, uh, in Wittenberg was, 
and I'm, I'm just pulling it up right now, but the first thesis had to do with repentance. Repentance being is an all day thing, daily thing, right? The entire <laughs> life of believers is yeah. to be one of repentance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also something that contributes to this unity is we never reach a state within our sanctification of not needing to repent. And one of the beautiful and painful things about sanctification perhaps is we're shown more and more just how much we need Christ. Mm-hmm. Like if God showed us all of our sin on day one, it would overwhelm us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we need each other to right. show us our sin and mm-hmm. they need us yeah. to show us their sin. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Show them their sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was reminded this, uh, this famous quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on, love anything in your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. Mm-hmm. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all mm-hmm. entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, mm. impenetrable, irredeemable. Mm. To love is to be vulnerable. And that's exactly what this unity that Christ right. gives us wants us to experience. Yeah. This when like this constant dying to ourselves. It's not just, oh, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. No, there's a promise of resurrection. Right. Like, yes, Amen. future resurrection, bodies glorified, yeah. but daily little moment by moment resurrections right. where that selfishness that you thought you couldn't get rid of is gone. Mm-hmm. That person you thought you couldn't love, now you can. Yeah. You know, that 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 uh, that anger you're holding in, that bitterness, gone. Like yeah. you can actually let go of it. And now as C. S. Lewis is saying, you're unbreakable now. Yeah. Like that thing that was actually killing you mm. is gone. Mm. And you get and you're, you're given yeah. something you're given something. So this this dying to self in unity, it's right. it's like a, a two way pipe. Like yeah. you are dying, but you're given you're being given something in return. Yeah. That's a really important thing, I think, because mm. we can read this passage and think, oh, yeah. I have to give more stuff away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I already give a lot away, don't I? You know, but it's actually, this is life-giving. This yeah. is how you get yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. You, you said something. It was one of your, uh, for me at least, um, it was very pastoral and powerful in your example, your um, applications, okay. where you brought, I think, three different um, right. ways that people can, can give. Right. And you're like, you know, if you have resources, think about how you can give. If you have time, time. But if you don't have time or resources, let the church mm. give. I yeah. thought that was a home run hitter right there, to be honest. Yeah, it was like, nice. yeah, be be humble enough to receive mm. the community that you need in those moments yeah. if you can't give. Because yeah, there won't be any real unity if we don't right. We don't realize we need to. Right. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. all too strong and trying to be self-sufficient. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I was thinking in crafting that point, Jerry, I was thinking, you know, what about the people mm-hmm. who have struggles with mental health, struggles with physical health, mm-hmm. uh, who are in transitions of jobs, don't have material means, don't even have time, et cetera, and they're, they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, I, I think it's safe to presume that there were people in that category in the early church. Sure. Because mm-hmm. that's life. That's mm-hmm. that's human communities probably a lot of them right <laughs> well you, in a couple of chapters you got the widows and orphans exactly. that can't figure out how right. to feed them right yeah and so i you know 
it's easy, it, particularly in our, you know, our PCA context, our, our local context, you know, there's a lot of people who are educated, have incomes, have means. And I can only imagine, I'm not speaking from experience, but I can only imagine it's, it can be difficult for someone without any of that mm-hmm. to come forward and, and say, I do have these needs. I, and there's a lot of generous people out there. Yeah. And that, and just as a quick side anecdote, because, you know, I, I think I, for a lot of my life, have had a lot of pride. I never wanted to ask anyone for anything, you know, as if everything I have doesn't come from God, you know, but he had to expose that. And when, he, when we came into church planning, we're like, how are we going to raise money? And I was blown away with the generosity of people, people that I found out through other church planners and missionaries. Hey, this family, they, they support a ton of people. Um, why don't you talk to the, these guys? And here I would have been in my pride being like looking down on people for having all this wealth and yet their generosity vastly exceeded what I even thought was possible for generosity. And it just exposed, uh, how willing I would, I was to assign, uh, to, to apply my pride to the situation and see, uh, I'm just thankful that the Lord exposed that. It, because that you see some generous people. That is actually, <laughs> that's actually really, really profound because, um, in, in those situations, uh, especially when, when you're trying to raise support, it's easy to map onto somebody else right. and you start predicting, oh, they won't. Right. And if they're fellow brother and sister in Christ, you've just stolen from them yes. an opportunity to love you. Yeah. Mm. An opportunity for them to say yes mm. or no with reason. That's right. And you, but you've just predicted for them. And I think yeah. we can do that in little ways in the church. Oh, that person will never invite me over. Mm. They'll never right. because I'm because of my own insecurities. Yeah. I've I've sort of mapped it onto them, and I never I never <laughs> ask. Right. Mm-hmm. I never ask, yeah. and I've just stolen from them. And I I've done this a thousand times, I'm sure, yeah. if not more. Um, I've stolen from them an right. opportunity to say, sure, yes, yeah. come, or no, with reason, <laughs> right. you know, with, with legit reason. Mm-hmm. There's a false modesty there that yeah. ends up being prideful because mm-hmm. you're stepping in the way of what God can do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. Yeah. And and back to um, what you were saying earlier about those those with obvious challenges, you know, disabled, uh, mentally challenged, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even those who are are getting older in years, mm-hmm. I think I think we can say yes. Obviously, the church should be supporting them. That right. that should be basic. But also, the church needs them. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. like they, we actually need their weakness right. because that is how God is going to be present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have yeah. that weakness, we are going to be puffed up more in our pride. Mm-hmm. So, so I do think it's it's important to remember. Yes, the 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 poor need the rich. You could say, mm-hmm. but the rich need the poor yes. too, mm-hmm. uh, and that not just in financial terms. Right, you know. Yeah, the vision of the Old Testament that we're seeing lived out in Acts. Um, you know, I briefly mentioned Isaiah chapter 2, which is uh, the first five verses. It shows up again in Micah, but it's somewhat of of a of an o- overarching mission statement from God himself mm-hmm. about every one. People from every different strata of society, every different corner of the globe are going to be streaming to his house. Mm-hmm. And we will experience that beautifully and fully in the new heavens and the new earth, but we're experiencing now as we a get, foretaste. Yeah, we get to now, mm-hmm. and I, that that that's a good. 
It's a good metric. Race is not the only metric within that vision. It's also economic. It's also uh, disabilities. It's mm-hmm. um, is our church a place in which we've set the conditions or we're working towards the conditions where people from every category of, of folks would be present and unified. Mm. And shout out to this church because, you know, we're going to do it up at our church plant. But, you know, if you go back to Acts 2, uh, 42, table fellowship, oh. the sacrament, but also sitting across the meal from each other. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've always loved that this church prioritizes that, uh, you know, Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a beautiful way for this unity to build is mm-hmm. spending time with each other in conversation, sharing a meal together at something about how God created us to, to grow unified together over a meal. Um, beautifully exemplified in the Lord's table, but also experienced just as we do life together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so thanks to CPC New Haven for yeah. showing that hospitality. Yeah, man. Praise God. I do appreciate how you always, you tried to really connect it to the resurrection. The resurrection yeah. fuels this. Yeah. Jesus fuels yeah. this. So let's always try to keep it, keep it Jesus centered. Right. Yeah, that's um, right. That's why we're here. Praise God. Thanks for joining us, yeah, Ben. Thanks, brother. Thanks, thanks for, for bringing me. the word. God bless all you.